Hello and welcome to the Manchester's Red Podcast. I'm fortunately coming to you after another poor result on the weekend and I'm joined by Samuel Luckers and Rich Fay. I'll start with Samuel. How are you today? I'm not bad, thank you, Stephen. How are you? Well, yeah, not too bad. Newcastle lost, um, but apart from that, I'm doing all right on a from Monday morning. Um, Rich, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Wrexham drew, so, you know, if we're going to talk about other sides, then, uh, yeah, it's a disappointing weekend all around for all three of us, so it should make for an interesting podcast. No one's in the most cheerful mood, but, yeah... Um, I was rather glad that I, I had to go to Marine and watch an FA Cup for qualifying round rather than cover United versus Leicester live this weekend. What a place Marine is as well. I'm sure you saw the sites there. I saw, I saw some ca- stuff. Ca- Capital of culture, isn't it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Samuel, I'll just start with you then. Obviously, before the game, you revealed that Harry Maguire was going to start before kickoff. Um, that was a bit of a controversial point considering he only returned to training on Friday um, after his injury. And it was... Pretty poor performance from Maguire, one of his worst in the United shirt in a while. How did you digest that and what did you think about his display? Well, I think the first time he received the ball, he he just bundled it out of play into, into touch for throwing. And then there was the other instance where, where he got skinned by Ian Acho for, for an opening that really should have come to something but came to nothing for Leicester. And just just before he actually made that mistake that led to the, the equaliser uh, tie uh, who's obviously sat next to me, so I think Maguire's playing quite well here, and I can see what he's saying. I, I didn't totally agree with him, but obviously that that statement and that opinion did did not age well. Um, I, I I don't think you can just pin the injury on on Maguire's performance. And when I, as I said, as I tweeted when I got home, um, that the last twenty minutes were on telly, I forgot just how badly he conceded the corner as well for the, was it the second goal. Uh, De Gea even seemed to look at him as if to say, why have you just punted the ball out for a corner when he could have taken the touch, he could have turned and played it out for throwing or d- done something else with it rather than just doing that. But it was a sign of how much he was unnerved and, and how panicky he was. And it kind of encapsulated the problem United have got in that a lot of decisions have been made on the back of last season. And as I've said before, last season was not a reliable gauge for, for most teams on the planet, never mind in the country, because there were no crowds present. With a crowd present, Maguire was back at Leicester for the first time as a United player, and he was completely unnerved. They were singing their F off Maguire chant. They were booing him. He was obviously just back from injury. It, it, ha- it was a recipe for disaster, and it was it was a disaster. I, I think he was culpable for all, all four goals because he played Soyuncu one side where he got caught out a bit deep. The non-marking... Obviously, the clip has gone viral of him just looking so statuesque for that, that clincher. It just begs belief what he was doing with, with Jamie Vardy. I don't know if he was trying to um, convince the crosser to go across goal when if you leave Jamie Vardy unmarked inside the area, you, you're telling them exactly to do the opposite. And it was, it was a terrific finish from Vardy. So Maguire has had... He had an aberration last season in the Tottenham game when they lost 6-1 and I suppose you give him a little bit of leeway because he did come he just come back from from injury but he's he's been playing poorly since the start of the season and a little bit like Jordan Pickford who he's, he's very very friendly with as well he's got this tendency to reserve his best form for his country rather than his club and that's always going to nag um, for United fans particularly because he's the United captain as well and I think with a section of fa- of the fan base you can't really um down, downplay some of the issues some of them have with him uh, being captain in that he was appointed captain quite quickly after he joined the club and also I know this is a mood point for 
the majority of United supporters, but he's from Yorkshire, which okay, it's you know, I, I don't find it much of an issue, but some United fans kind of take umbrage with that. But it's more the case that he was given that role very, very quickly after coming in. But he is he is Solskjaer's man. I think that's why Solskjaer gave him the job. And he has led United very authoritatively in the past. And you saw how much they missed him towards the end of last season when, when he was injured for the run-in and how chaotic it was at times and how haphazard um, Eric Bailly was at times in the Europa League final. Uh, that they absolutely needed a centre-half in the summer uh, to partner Maguire. But the lack of clean sheets that that's a that's a poor reflection on on the defense as a whole rather than just him but i think his position is not as uh, is not as untenable as other people at the club as sam has just touched upon there rich um poor defensive performance obviously from united that goes without saying conceding four goals is obviously unacceptable um and the midfield has always been a talking point especially this season um McTominay was dropped and, and Matic came in did you think that was the right call and what did you make of that performance from Matic? It's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it, that it was the wrong call? But I think the thing is with Solskjaer, you know, he was he was slammed for a selection against Everton before the international break. The the, the clip with Khabib and Sucks Ferguson goes viral saying you've got to start your best players. I think when the team news drops, I think most fans probably agree with that because they accept that for Pogba to be playing in the position he's playing in, you've got to have Matic rather than McTominay because we all know McTominay, despite playing more defensively for Scotland, Solskjaer sees him as this sort of maverick, sort of box-to-box midfielder who makes his late darting runs and, you know, he scored seven goals last season. So it was never really going to work. And we saw it against Villarreal where it, it looked OK for about 10 minutes and didn't work anyway. So I think if that was the line that they're going for with Pogba centrally, he had to play Matic because there, there were no alternatives. Obviously, in hindsight, it doesn't look the right call. And I think I put in my selector that I would have gone for Matic and McTominay just because I do think that that is probably the better balanced as a duo of, of those two. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's part of the problem that United have going forward, isn't it? And I know Sarks Ferguson says you've got to play your best players and individually, you know, United probably did play the best players available to them at the weekend. But the fact of the matter is that Pogba or Fernandes realistically needs to be dropped for this run of games that's coming up because whether you like it or not, the Fred McTominay access is better suited for for the bigger games, I think, and particularly yeah. games where United acknowledge they're gonna be out of possession. You know, that, that's that's part of it. And the problem with you know McFred or what we're gonna call them is that fans don't like it when they play in games where they expect United to be on top. You know, against the low block teams, against these sides at home where United should be dominating just because they're called Manchester United. But with the games that are coming up, I think Fred McTominay access will need will need to return, and I, I've got no personal issues with that happening. But yeah, the midfield balance just didn't look right. But again, it just comes down to that Paul Pogba conundrum. I know Samuel tweeted it himself that Pogba comes out after the game saying they need to make changes. Well, the elephant in the room is that unlucky Paul, but you're probably the change that needs to happen because you're you're an indulgence on the left wing, which can't be justified at the moment because Rashford's come back, he scored a goal. You know, you've, like we say every week, Sancho plays there as well. Lingard deserves to start and the left wing role is probably better suited to him. Although, you know, there's probably a case to say Lingard should be playing instead of Fernandez or Pogba in that central attacking midfield role at, at the moment. So I think particularly now that you've got Ronaldo and I know everyone, you, you almost roll your eyes when you talk about pressing stats and stuff because, yeah, he didn't do that, but he scores goals. He's Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think if you've got Ronaldo up front, you can't afford to be having Pogba as well as another one of these sort of free 
spirits at the top. He sort of does what they want. So for me, I think it, it stems down to the fact that you've just got to almost go back to basics in the week at, weeks ahead to to nullify this because something's not right. I know that the easy solution is to say you've got to spend money, etc. But United have spent so much money this summer. They can't keep on throwing money at the problems under Solskjaer because even if they sign a new midfielder, you still wouldn't be surprised if Solskjaer doesn't playing properly from the start anyway and then the conversation was turned on to well United need a striker next they need a new right back you know saying United need to carry on spending money for me is just not the solution they've got options at the club which just aren't being explored that leads us on to my next point then Rich obviously we've talked about um, a defensive midfielder Samuel and their failures in the transfer market and I know you did a piece on that today um if another manager did come in um let's say hypothetically at the start of the season do you think they could have got closer or they could win the title with this side without a defensive midfielder? At the start of the current season? Yes, I, yeah. Yes, but Tuchel was, was, I know Tuchel was out of work for what, a month last year, last season. That, that was just a no-go. Uh, there's, there's a certain German journalist that whenever he links the German with United, you know that it's not going to happen because he's, he's, he's doing... He's doing the it's not even his clients' bidding or his friends' bidding. He's just doing his compatriots' bidding, um, and that's what happened with Tuchel, who got a job very quickly after it. And of course, uh, Leon Goretzka got his new contract very quickly after being uh, baselessly linked with United. Uh, I get the issue that some fans have with. I don't know if there are any Solskjaer loyalists lingering, but they they can't go about it. With this um, this this outlook that there's there's not an ideal manager available um, or, or the ideal manager, if if there is a, an available manager, are they suitable or not? Because the current manager is not suitable. You've done very well to actually kind of like nose each question on not being should the manager be sacked yet? <laughs> that seems to be what what fans are asking all the time. Um, but if you gave if you gave two cool Guardiola or clock that squad. They would be making a better fist of it. I've, I've no doubt about that. They would be finding or identifying an, an internal solution. I think the interesting thing with just say Van der Beek as an example, um, there, there are a lot of reasons why Solskjaer doesn't play him. You, you only have to look at how Van der Beek has performed when he has got chances and how, how out of kilter he's been more often than not with, with how United play. But a lot of managers better managers have got a tune out of players that have been foisted onto them or that they've inherited. Um, look at what Klopp did with Divock Origi, who I don't know if he's still at Liverpool. I think he might be somehow, but he scored some of their most important goals over the last 10 years. Um, Musa Sissoko was a player at Tottenham who somehow had quite a prominent role, even though you'd have thought he, he, he had no right to be starting in, in Pochettino's team. Uh, Nicholas Otamendi had a run of form under Pep Guardiola where people were falling into thinking he was actually a good defender when he wasn't. He just looked good because he was playing under Pep Guardiola. And more relevantly with United, Ashley Young became an infinitely better player working under Louis van Gaal. And Henrik Mkhitaryan, who was clearly not a Mourinho player, still was very key in United's high point of the post-Ferguson um, era, if, if you're looking at the trophies anyway, when, when they won the Europa League. So Solskjaer has not got the credits or the clout to just be dismissive of a player that was also signed on his watch and was the, the marquee signing last year and might be might be a solution. Um, I, I personally, I don't think Van der Beek is. I, I think he deserves to be played more often. But 
in a week where they're playing, um, they're coming up against two teams with two very renowned coaches. Uh, I mean, very renowned is probably over over it a bit with with Gasparini, but you just look at the way Atalanta play. He is not a conventional Italian coach. I think Atalanta scored 98 goals in Serie A the season before last, and last season it was 90 goals. The rate of scoring is remarkable um, for a team that finished third two seasons on the trot in Serie A and in that league, given how defensive-minded it is. Uh, they play with a back three as well, so that's another conundrum that it poses for Solskjaer. Um, you know, I... I've I've been quite open in, in saying that I, I don't think he's he's the suitable manager for, for United. I think Gary Neville succinctly summarised it well when he said he could be a bridge for success. But United just have a bit of arrogance about them and they have a tendency to make bad decisions. And in July, they gave him a new contract. And last month, Edward Wood said he's never been more convinced of, of succeeding. And again, it's another comment that has just aged terribly very, very quickly. Sticking with confidence or, or maybe arrogance, as some would perceive it, then, Rich. Cristiano Ronaldo, um, one win in five games for United. It's, it's been incredibly poor recently, but obviously there's a, a tough run of games coming up now and there's no man you'd rather have in your team than Ronaldo heading into those fixtures. But maybe his performances, um, it hasn't been his fault, perhaps, because he's not been getting the surface, um, haven't been great in recent weeks. Do you think he can deliver for United um, across this next few weeks in this tough run of fixtures? Absolutely. It's Cristiano Ronaldo, these are the games that he lives for, you know, and I, I think he will do really well in some of these big games. And like I said, and I've said it on a previous podcast as well, I do think United will get one sort of statement win in one of those games. It might only paper over the cracks a bit, but I really do think that, like we said, particularly if United just accept that Freddie McTominay is the ideal sort of short-term solution and accept they're not going to control these games, just hit teams on the counter-attack. You've got Ronaldo who just scores goals for fun, turns half chances into goals but you know the, the, the things about Ronaldo are that Solskjaer said when he took over that, he, that there's, the, there's no reason that any other team should work harder than United in the league and you know Ronaldo maybe doesn't quite fit in 100% to that, that philosophy he tried to instill in, in that first sort of pre-season he oversaw but he's an exception he's an, an anomaly and another thing that Gary Neville said I think last week in the wake of the Everton draw was that you know you almost have to carry him when you're out of possession because you know you're not going to get the same commitment or whatever but what you do get is something that probably no one else in the league can can rival on this day so I think the Ronaldo criticism I know I, I do think that there's a position you know there's probably room for Cavani to play a bit more but I think it has to be somehow alongside Ronaldo because you know it's Cristiano Ronaldo I mean you need to boil it down to that at the end of the day and just remember that United have somehow signed you know the greatest goal scorer in, in football history and he's back here now and yeah he might not be firing at the moment but to write him off is absolutely ridiculous you know you know what you're going to get from him and it's down to United to make sure that works and you can understand his frustration because realistically he's maybe got the chance of one last major trophy in his career and it's likely going to be in this spell at, at United so you know we saw it at Juventus, it didn't quite work out. I know some people called him a failure, but his goal scoring record was still absolutely superb. He was never going to be the sort of ideal tactical fit or whatever, or, or fit perfectly into the, the style that Solskjaer does want to play and have these players who all interchange, who all dig in and you know get gritty with the high press, whatever. But that doesn't mean he's not a, a great player and still a great, you know, can still be a good fit for the squad. You've just got to tailor it towards him. And again, that's why I think that I know. Ferguson said you've got to play your best players. I think Ronaldo, you do have to play. 
But I think around him, you've got to just get the legs in there. You've got to have like Freddie McTominay. I think someone like Jesse Lingard would do a lot of hard work for Ronaldo. And I generally do think that, you know, Fernandez has probably been a player I've been more disappointed with in recent weeks. He's just looked frustrated, looked like he's trying yeah. too hard. I'd love yeah. to see Jesse Lingard in the number 10 role behind Ronaldo because I think that gives you the legs that you're missing from Ronaldo, but you've still got his him as the main focal point. You know, I think that... United became too predictable and that's happened so often under Solskjaer and there is too much reliance on the core sort of strength of players. I think Ronaldo's got to be the anomaly because the manner in which he arrived in the summer and, you know, the fact United love to tweet his name every hour on the hour just to give themselves some sort of endorphin rush on social media seeing those retweets hit. It. But Lingard, you know, I think he's been so criminally underused. And I know we spoke on last podcast saying, well, if his long-term future is not at the club, maybe you don't need to use him. But Solskjaer admitted himself, he, I know he got his words fumbled or whatever, but Lingard needs to be playing more. And I think now is his time. And I think he would help solve the issue that United have with Ronaldo. That's a very good point about, <clears throat> pardon me, about Fernandez. obviously, in the last few weeks. Yeah. I think his performances went on the radar. And that leads me on to you, Samuel. Why do you think that is then? Why do you think his performances maybe haven't been up to the, the lofty standards that he has set in the past? Uh, crowds, potentially. I know that's a strange uh, rationale for it because when he did first join United and play brilliantly, uh, there was a crowd present. There was a crowd present for the Leeds game. He, he has been overplayed in recent years. You look at... Um, the, the mileage he's clocked in uh, for United and for Portugal. Uh, he obviously played in the Nations League in the summer of 2019. I know that's only two games, but it's still a it's a mini tournament with something at stake. There was the Euros in the summer as well, although he, he lost his place. And I suppose United might have silently hoped that was that would benefit them because it was a bit of rest for him. But just his start of play is. It's problematic for what Solskjaer is trying to accomplish, particularly when in the summer there was he, he was looking to switch to a four-three-three, and and I was always quite sceptical about that. One because I didn't envisage United signing a midfielder, and they needed to if they were to justify that. Of course, they didn't, and also with the players he has, the midfielders he has, it's very very difficult to justify that switch. What the the big problem with Fernandez is that he seems incapable of controlling a game. Uh, his his game is all about moments. It's an impact. Um, it's scoring um, a brilliant goal. It's it's a wonderful pass. It's something. It's it's creating something out of nothing. And it's a bit bizarre that Manchester City were quite close to signing him in 2019 because he really doesn't fit Guardiola's profile of midfielder or, or attacking midfielder. You, you think of De Bruyne, and one of the reasons why De Bruyne has become even better under Guardiola who's kind of, I think with most of the players he's inherited, Guardiola has almost consciously tried to phase them out as quickly as possible. But De Bruyne is the exception in that he was completely, he was a Guardiola player. I think Guardiola wanted him at Bayern Munich. It was a little bit different with company, Silver to a lesser extent. And, and Raheem Sterling is, is still having his issues, even though he's, he's he's been brilliant for City under Guardiola. But with Fernandez. I was even I was getting irritated just watching him as a as a as an impartial observer on Saturday because he was just trying to do things without without even uh, you know wondering or, or taking the time to look at his his surroundings. He was trying to affect things too quickly. One of the things that was I thought was quite notable about United was that Solskjaer said recently that sometimes they attack too quickly, and at times they they did seem to be consciously slowing down the attacks as if that 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 was on their mind and they've been instructed to do that but with Fernandez he gets the ball and he wants to find a player 
ahead of him, not next to him immediately. He, he, he doesn't want to have more than three touches of the ball. And more often than not, he was just impatient and wasteful, uh, which is why I gave him the, I think he got four out of 10 in, in the ratings. And, and even that was possibly being kind to him. So he has gone off the boil, but unfortunately for United, most of their outfield players have gone off the boil. And as I said before, uh, sorry, as I wrote in, in my piece at the weekend, when, when David De Gea is the front runner for the play of the season, uh, the manager is in the manager is in trouble. Uh, he's won it, I think, four times. And in three of those four years, uh, Manchester United have changed manager. I'll just end the podcast on a bit of a higher note. And obviously Samuel's mentioned uh, De Gea's form and he's been United's player of the season rather concerningly um, at that. But he was fantastic again uh, against Leicester, Rich. What have you made about him then this season? Obviously, there was much made about uh, Dean Henderson and his battle with De Gea for that number one spot. And um, obviously, De Gea came back early from his holiday. So that's been fantastic to see, hasn't it? And that was a positive, if you can take a positive, from a, a defeat of Leicester. Yeah, exactly. And it is a, a genuine positive that David De Gea is back to genuine world-class form at times as well but you know I think coming home early whatever he did in the summer he didn't really play at the European Championship anyway so I think he was training with Spain every day so he was in quite a good position to come back early I know it gives you a bit of sort of brownie points it looks it is a good look but you know De Gea has gone about it the right way he he knows he had a, a sort of an uphill struggle in his hands but he's taken the chance you know you know full full fully well and you know, he, he needed that slice of luck. You know, he had that, that low point towards the end of last season. It really did look like the end of his United career, but he looks to be, you know, confident again. And that's what it's been about, really, with David De Gea. We've always seen, you know, that he's he's got that ability to make those reactionary saves, which few other goalkeepers in world football can do. But, you know, the core of his game is sort of dependent on his own sort of self-belief and confidence. And now that he's got that back, he's got the full backing from Oligon Solskjaer again. It's it's great to see from United's point of view, but then it also does throw into question what, what actually happens to the goalkeeping situation because Solskjaer said himself last season that it was untenable to carry on that way and that you can't have two goalkeepers who deserve to be playing every week in that position. And, you know, he's also... I know it's Solskjaer and he likes to throw names in, into the hat anyway, but he said, you know, Tom Heaton's here now as well, who's an experienced shot stopper. And, you know, United have, have got an abundance of options there in terms of being in goal. And Tom Heaton, which I think is different to, to other years, is is actually a decent number two if they had to get rid of Dean Henderson and go into the new year. But, you know, things change so quickly in football, don't they, that it will only take one mistake or one howl or whatever. And, you know, people will be calling for Dean Henderson to start again. That's just the nature of it. But I think particularly as well for De Gea is the fact that he's been playing in front of quite a shaky defence. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Because, like you said, De Gea's probably been the best player this season for United, but they've not actually kept that many clean sheets and have not looked that good defensively. And not many of their defenders have actually played well. So, you know, it's credit to De Gea. It is another sort of minor success story. But like Samuel said, the fact that we even have to talk about him every week does show that there's serious issues there. And, you know, I think that that's an important thing that was touched upon at the start of the pod by Samuel in terms of Maguire that maybe there is remit that Lindelof and Varane should play together when he's back because United might need to trial that. I know Maguire is viewed as untouchable, but maybe he falls into that bracket of Fernandes where they're both playing a bit poorly anyway, but they both have been overworked and you know the, the workload's been absolutely unhuman. I know Solskjaer said that last season himself, that you know the fixture schedules, etc. as well, have, haven't been helped. United's TV scheduling hasn't helped. The fact they're both so key for for club and country as well hasn't helped but I think United you know we always say that they've got the squad depth and Solskjaer always says he needs to manage his players better and 
You know, he said that in his press conference last week that he needs to have the fitness levels going into April or May. But if he doesn't manage them properly now, there'll be nothing to play for and he might not even be in the job by then. So I think he just needs to be a bit braver. And I think it's now got to the point where instead of United having sort of eight or nine players who are undroppable, they've got very few who are certain of a start every week. And those who do seem certain are perhaps the ones who actually should be dropped in in favour of others. Sam, you'll have to forgive us. I told a bit of a lie there. I said I was going to end the podcast on a positive note. But because I'm such a miserable person, um, I'm going to dampen the spirits to end it on. Obviously, Mourinho was sacked 3-1, wasn't he? Um, Liverpool in 2018 when they beat United. Um, United are playing Liverpool this weekend. Um, The board are still standing by Solskjaer, but how long can you see that going on for if results continue in this fashion? If, if, if they continue like like Saturday, then he'll, he'll, he'll do well to make the November international break. Um, nothing has changed on the manager's situation, unsurprisingly. Uh, I don't think anybody was expecting it to. Uh, as I said, he, he was given a three-year contract in July. There was the Woodward quote uh, last last month. Uh, even John Murter, the, the football director on, on the fans forum, uh, made a point of saying about how they ignore the, the noise on social media, which is, is probably sensible, but I think United should probably um, take some of that advice on board themselves and give it a rest on their own channels, the, the amount they're uh, going on about Ronaldo and the, the issues that causes and, and also just this inviting all these names that I've never heard of. I know a lot of people have heard of them, but these guests in the director's box who just cause, um, in, in, in the case of the uh, UFC chat, uh, causing problem for the... For the manager, um, I, I certainly don't think there's. I don't feel as confident now that Solskjaer will will see out the season. But that, that is mainly based on this recent run of results and, and mainly the Leicester game because of just how how feeble that capitulation was and how just just how rinsed United were in that last twenty minutes. And Solskjaer himself, his, his body language at the end of the game, it, it did feel like the beginning of the end. And I don't think you can just dismiss that defeat as an aberration. It, it, it was eerily similar to the, the 5-3 collapse at Leicester seven years ago. But that was about, I think that was I think that was Van Gaal's sixth game in charge. Solskjaer's nearly three years into the job at United. So um, th- th- there were just so many issues there that, that go beyond Solskjaer as well, though. The fact that Woodward and the owners think that he is a manager who can take on Tuchel, Guardiola and Klopp is a problem. Um, Mike Phelan's contract renewal uh, or extension, sorry, I, I don't know what Mike Phelan does. He, he used to coach the players when he was assistant under Sir Alex Ferguson. He doesn't coach them now. Uh, it, it, it's almost like he is. He, he should have his title changed to, to second manager, but I didn't even see him in the, the technical area on Saturday. It, it, he's he's just there by association of what he's done in the past um, on the coaching setup. And he wasn't particularly influential on the coaching setup when he was there on the Ferguson, contrary to, to the own, um, his own self hype. Um, obviously Carrick and McKenna are going to get scrutinized because they're quite, um, quite inexperienced coaches. Um, and, and when results aren't going well, and you've got all these elite names being coached by those two, then people are going to take umbrage with that. Uh, possibly most peculiarly of all, uh, Darren Fletcher is a technical director, but every day he seems to pull, be pulling his boots on at the training ground, getting involved in the rondos, posing for winning team pictures. In Burn, he was preparing Rafael Varane at halftime with crosses um, that he could head away. 
can anybody name me another technical director at a football club that that, that does that? Um, I, I I think Fletcher's worldview of United and football in general is is pretty sound, but it seems though as soon as he's gone back there, it's unfortunately it looks like another job for one of the boys, and it's difficult to really pinpoint what he's actually doing. Even in the minutes from the fans form last month, they gave an example of his role as technical director and it was so, so tenuous and it, it seemed to have nothing to do with him. It was just that he met a 15-year-old who'd, who'd signed for the club's academy. And on that, he's a he's the United technical director and um, I believe his two sons are still in Manchester City's academy, which again, it, it may seem harmless to a certain extent, but given the role he now occupies, is is pretty bizarre. So, as I said, the, the problems do go beyond Solskjaer, but previously the scapegoat would have been Woodward or the Glazers. The amount that has been invested in the squad and the amount of time he's had, uh, it, it's, it's all on him now. Some food for thought there um, for the listeners, and I'm sure they'll agree that it was a better performance from Samuel and Rich than the United players on the pitch at the King Power. Um, so, pleasure as usual, Samuel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. And thank you, Rich. Yeah, thank you. Nice cheery ending, wasn't it? That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Look ahead to the week ahead. But yeah, thank you very much. And to the listeners, thanks as you. Take care.